0: On the podcast, we have my new friend, Gavin Ortland, and a lot of you might remember we had his mother, Jannie, on talking about her book, Help I am Married to a Pastor, and had a great conversation with her a few months back, Um, and today uh, we have her son, Gavin, on with us, who's uh, a very gifted man with a very interesting ministry um, at the local church level and in writing and now with a YouTube channel. Um, but Gavin, welcome to the Vine Church Conversations podcast.
1: Hey, great to be with you, Zach. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, well, man, thanks so much for coming. And tell us a little bit about who you are, like just you know the the overview, the the biggies. Your, where you live, what you do, family, anything else you want to share?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm a pastor in Ojai, California. So Ojai is about 80 miles northwest of uh, Los Angeles, kind of a rural area. We've been here about three years. And uh, my wife's name is Esther. We have four kids ages from eight. And then my youngest just turned one. So a big, big part of life right now is being a parent. Yes. (laughs) And uh, the high energy season that we're in. But my kids give me a lot of joy as well.
0: Yeah, um, I've got four kids too from 18 to 12. And so we're a, a, maybe a step ahead in terms of the maturation of a family. But um, Yeah, you're
1: probably getting a little more sleep than, yes, than we do.
0: <laughs> yes. So what I always say is like your stage is um, so physically demanding. There's something to be yeah. said for having kids when you're young. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm 45 now. And, you know, so uh, sleep is more important than it's ever been. But um, the kids aren't as physically demanding. It's just emotionally heavier, you know. Yeah. With yeah, Emerging adults and... Uh, you know when they're little you physically just pick them up and you place them somewhere and you have this illusion of control right um and then when they're older it's not quite the same
1: that's kind of what i've heard of we we've just gotten to the point where my daughter who's 6 uh loves taking care of my other daughter who's 1 yeah and we actually trust her to do that to hold yeah. her and that kind of stuff so that's it's nice to start hitting those milestones
0: yeah as they get older they get hopefully they get a lot more helpful and um so it's, it's, it's fun. Our, our first is graduating from high school on Friday, and so uh-huh. that's a very surreal thing for us to see that happening, but it's, yeah, it's, it's really, really good. But let me ask you this. Um, so for those you don't know, um, Gavin's dad, Ray, is one of the elder statesmen in Acts 29, and uh, he's been around for a while, and he's written a lot of books, and A lot of us in Acts 29 really look up to him as kind of a father figure, and uh, he's just served the Acts 29 church community so well. And uh, I would love to hear on the topic of family, Gavin, like, what are the lessons that you learned? I know your parents aren't perfect. We all know that, right? Um, But like, so we don't want to elevate them too highly, but a lot of us um, really, really respect them from afar. Um, and I know you have a deep love for them. Um, what are some things that you learned from them growing up that you consistently are aware that you're practicing the same kind of things because of the impact that had on you? So, what are those lessons that you learned, or things that you observed, or are there like tangible takeaways <laughs> that you're like, man, my parents did this in when I was a little kid, and I'm doing the exact same thing because it was so valuable?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think what I'd say is uh, less kind of specific practices and more just kind of a general um, kind of culture or or kind of ethos. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I never felt pressure from my parents in terms of, uh, you know, when my dad is a pastor and we moved from the Chicago suburbs down to Augusta, Georgia, and all of my older siblings were in college at that point. So I was kind of the one... Uh, child. And this was a larger church. And uh, I never felt any sort of expectation or pressure because I was the pastor's kid, at mm. least from my parents. I mean, sometimes you can get that from others, but and uh, I don't even think they necessarily would have thought about that a lot. But I, it's just how it was. And um I probably didn't think about it a lot at the time. But now as I'm older, people are always asking me this very question. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the things that that people wonder about, what was it like growing up as a pastor's kid? And in many ways, I'm kind of grateful for the fact that it there there wasn't a lot that felt different about it. And I, you know, my dad, I, I remember him saying, you know, when I was feeling a call to ministry, it wasn't like, oh, good, or something like that. He was yeah. basically just totally open for however God would lead me. And, yes. And whatever that would look like. So, just a lack of pressure. And I think about that a lot when, as we've got young kids and we're trying to figure out what's the boundary, what's the balance between having good discipline, but yep. not like over-correcting things. Yep. Because a lot of times with young kids, you just need to loosen up Yeah. <laughs> and just understand that they're not, they're going to be young kids. Like uh, that's one of the things that my mom actually talked about one time is not uh, disciplining mere immaturity, right. but disciplining disobedience. Right. So like mere immaturity if someone's just being a six-year-old that's fine right you know just be patient with a lot of that stuff so i guess in some ways just trying to have a a less pressured but uh kind of mentality but um just a culture in which christ is an authentic part of life so you just sort of grow up and and the gospel is just a part of how you live your life and it's not necessarily a bullet point list of practices
0: yeah Yeah. That's really good, man. It's, it's a, it's a culture. It's something that's caught rather than taught explicitly. Right. How how did they discipline you though? I'm curious, like, were there firm lines that you knew? Like, I know my dad and mom are, you know, they love Jesus and this is an environment of grace, but, um, there's a time when grace means I need to be taught or stopped or, you know, um, was there a, a, a philosophy that you, you knew was kind of clear in terms of discipline?
1: Yeah, there was definitely discipline. There was definitely spankings when I was little and, you know, all, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I had a pretty clear sense of kind of where the boundaries would be. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, common sense things and kind of attitudinal things. but um I don't know. I think the one, the one other thing I always think about as a parent, because this is, I could talk about this a lot because it's something my wife and I are always talking about, about, you know, as each of our kids gets older, just the wisdom you need for knowing how to um, effectively kind of parent them and help them and uh, shape them. And, um, but just the importance of having fun as -hmm. a family. Mm -hmm. I think I remember Danny Akin saying that one time that if he had any advice for parents, it would be just, make sure you have fun you know mm-hmm. so like go on vacations even though they're exhausting and they're not restful when you have young kids <laughs> right it's, it's not for the rest it's for the memories and Amen. for the, yep. the benefits of it and and uh you know make so we try to make meal times fun you know we always try to like find something to laugh about during dinner yeah. you know yep. and kind of uh uh create an environment like that because as as much as having fun together enjoying each other seems like a small thing I actually think that's really important for people yeah. having a kind of a healthy experience uh, in their family because if if that's sort of the backdrop then everything else you experience it's easier to experience it as love. Yeah. If if you if you feel that you're being enjoyed and and delighted in as a person.
0: Yeah. What do you guys do to try to have fun in your family?
1: Um well, I mean I mentioned, you know, dinner mealtime, you know, yeah. we we go around and share a high and a low from our day. Yep. So it's just something simple and it's always funny to see you know the smallest thing can be a high right and of course we've had to institute the rule you can't complain about someone else at the table as you're low <laughs> <laughs> because uh, that, you, uh are my to, low. <laughs> you know one person says my low was when Naomi pushed me right and then Naomi's going next so you know what right. her low is going right. to be something right. payback you know yes <laughs> so uh but yeah just uh yeah mealtimes trying to make that fun you know during the pandemic we uh, did a started doing a movie night every friday night and my wife will make popcorn or something like that just because um there's less structure during the pandemic it felt helpful to have like something each forward e- each week to look forward to yes and uh a little bit of uh again fun and structure and rhythm you know for life as a family and then we do all kinds of outdoor stuff going to the beach, going on hikes. We've kind of just made the realization of, you know, vacations and days off are not really gonna be restful as much in this season. It's not really for that, but we're still gonna do stuff. Even with four young kids, we're gonna go, you know, this summer we're going up to Lake Tahoe and then stopping by Yosemite on our way back because it's been on our bucket list. And we thought, you know, that's a long way to drive with four kids, but let's just do it. And let's just, you know, if it's tiring, okay, it'll be an amazing memory. So
0: you're making memories. Yep. Some of the stories that we tell and the ones that we remember and in in a sense cherish are the ones that were the hardest when it's like we, we were traveling one time from, um, Mm. from out all East. So we were traveling three time zones. We were in Virginia and at the time we lived in Albuquerque and we were flying back with four kids, like six to one. And, and the plane, you know, we've been traveling for like 12 hours, you know, with a double stroller through the airports and all this stuff. And, the, you know, it's like I can taste the landing strip. You know what I mean? The, my bed and the pillow is like right there. And the pilot comes on. He's like, sorry, guys, we're going to El Paso. There's weather moving in right now. Uh-oh. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've been there. But to this day, here I am. I'm telling that story. We made a memory. Wasn't comfortable, but we cherish those uh, those moments. So,
1: yeah, we've had similar travel uh, issues like that. Of just, I think the worst one is when we just had Isaiah and Naomi, our two oldest, and they were like four and two, and we were flying, and all four of us got sick on the flight. Oh. And I won't go into any more details than that. <laughs> just to say, then we get to our second flight, and that flight is delayed oh, several my hours, gosh. and it's the same feeling of like, I don't know if we're gonna make it through right. this. But then you do, and then you look back and you say, okay, now we've got a good memory to laugh about.
0: Oh, my word. I can't hardly think of anything worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. I wasn't planning on
1: sharing that. but No, uh, man, was, that's, was, that's good. We,
0: hey, at our church, we are very transparent, and we have lots of <laughs> families at your stage. And so um, you'll be getting lots of uh, nods of agreement um, on things like that. <laughs> but let me ask you this on the family topic. Um how does it feel to have a brother with basically the most famous Christian book of the last twenty five years? <laughs> <laughs> I know you've been asked this question a lot too, but I mean, I'm joking. Yeah, it's I'm kind it's of always fun
1: when people pretty regularly um, mistake me as the author, and right. I, you know, so that's become a running joke between me and my wife of just will always I always retweet those or like them or you know right right and. It's especially funny I think the the one that really took the cake was someone attributed it was, it was a tweet that was something like so thankful for this awesome book by Gavin ortland and then they spelled ortland wrong and they got the title of the book wrong <laughs> <laughs> and it was Dane's book it was right, like wow right you give that guy the prize you know yeah. <laughs> so, so
0: uh that's but, funny for for those that don't know maybe just there's a lot of people that don't know uh what what, what are we even talking about
1: yeah. So uh, there's four uh, people, four kids in my family. Eric is my oldest brother. Then I have a sister named Krista. And then Dane is the next. And then I'm the youngest. Um, Dane wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly, which came out, I think, last April, April of 2020, sometime in there. Um, And it's, it's an amazing book. Um, I really don't have, the only thing I would just say about it is just uh how much i like the book <laughs> yeah um i'll never forget the first time kind of reading through it when he had sent it out and just asked for some feedback and um i don't know there's just something about that book that gives you a little window into who jesus really is and how beautiful he is and so um yeah i'm i'm just appreciative that he wrote it it felt like it came out at a time where a lot of people probably needed that kind of encouragement hmm.
0: what 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 can you unpack that a little more like why what was it about that book plus maybe a cultural moment that we were in or are in or have been in? What do you think?
1: Well, uh, uh, so the book is all about um, the heart of Jesus, who Jesus actually is. So he's putting the emphasis more upon, less upon just the cross and what Jesus has done, or the work of Christ, though obviously not wanting to downplay that. But he's putting the spotlight a little bit more on the heart of Jesus, who Jesus is now. Uh, as he's interceding for us, and I think he just really took a deep dive into some of the Puritans, um, and Thomas Goodwin, especially, and just um, got some insights from them that uh, yeah, they 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 just are are so um it's such a captivating. Reminder of who Jesus actually is, and then it it does feel like it's appropriate right now. I mean, for many reasons. One is just even unrelated to the pandemic. Um, our culture is so ungentle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> our, our culture is so polarizing. Yes. Uh, assuming the worst of other tribes. Yeah. Um, it's such a kind of nasty time, and I think in in relief to that, in contrast to that to see the gentleness of Christ is just such a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. 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 It's like it, I haven't read it yet, but, um, Crossway books did this amazing promotion. I'm sure you've heard of where they're giving away, you know, up to 200 copies. And so we should be getting some, and I'm going to give them away at our church. Um, so I will read it then when I get my own copy. But what I've heard is just this, like people just breathing this, this, Sigh of relief, almost, because the they they have a conception of God that He is a harsh taskmaster, mm-hmm. and um, to be reminded that that's not who God is presented only as in the in the scriptures. Yes, is God a God of wrath? Yes, does He bring judgment? Yes. I mean, we just preached Matthew twenty three yesterday, and serious or Tuesday, um, not yesterday, uh, Sunday, serious judgment on the Pharisees, right? um but at the same time you know he is gentle and lowly and um just having that unpacked and have that reminders land on people anew um is so important you know
1: yeah yeah one way I try to summarize kind of was I've thought about why does this why is this book so powerful Is just the kind of practical import of it could maybe be put this simply that God actually does love us yeah. Yeah, (laughs) as much as we say we believe that. But to think like in the honest and and real struggles, he actually loves us. And then, as you say, not setting that at odds with his fierceness and his kingliness, um, but thinking, I love the scene in The Magician's Nephew where uh, the boy is going up to Aslan and, you know, he's terrified of Aslan. Aslan has these big claws and he's fierce. But then he looks into his eyes and sees the tears in his eyes. And it's that realization of the most fearsome one, the most mighty one, the most majestic one is also the most humble and gracious and gentle one. And that is just such a, again, just such a beautiful portrait of Jesus, I think.
0: Yeah, it really, really is. Um, It seems like there are snapshots of that in our culture where you see like someone with the most utmost physical power um, playing gently with a child or something like that, or a dad that, you know, is just like this beast of a man. And when you see him uh, interact with his daughter, that's three years old, it just, it just warms your heart in a way that's unique. And I think, you know, we have little snapshots of how God is in that way um, in our, in our human experience. You know, sometimes. So yeah, I, I'm I really look forward to to reading it. But man, let's talk about um some of your books. Like you're um you're an accomplished author and what are you thirty five or something? Yeah, thirty seven. Thirty seven. Yeah. I mean you how many books have you written now, Gavin?
1: Uh sixth is coming out this fall. Okay. Well
0: let's uh let's go through some of them. What's what's the most recent book?
1: Well, I had a couple that came out kind of in a similar time last year, and then my the one that's coming out this fall, uh, maybe that would be fun to talk about. I've done so many podcasts on my other ones, I get I get tired of uh, you know saying the same things about them. But I'm but I'm happy to talk about those too. But it's fun to mention the one that's coming out this fall, Please, which is an apologetics book. Yeah, and that's called "A Why God Makes Sense in a World That Doesn't," and the subtitle is "The Beauty of Christian Theism." And it's basically just an argument for the existence of God. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I really got into apologetics in like the last two and a half years. Um, I've just found it really helpful personally, found it helpful in my ministry within the church yes. And then as, uh, as well, um, communicating the gospel to those outside the church. Um, I just have this feeling that kind of like we were saying about some of the other um, characteristics of our culture. That right now there's uh, just a lot of deconstruction and disillusionment within yes. the church. I think because of the political scene, because of other cultural things, because of fallen pastors and ministers that are so visible. I just think a lot of people are kind of questioning: like, do I can I really trust this? Have right. I been duped? And there's a, and I keep hearing, as I do my YouTube channel. I mean, if you type in spiritual deconstruction onto YouTube. You can find testimony after testimony after testimony of people walking away from their faith. And I've had lots of friends that I did not expect to go through that, who've gone through that. And so it's just been a burden on me of this is becoming like a movement. This is becoming like a thing, you know, deconstructing. It's becoming like cool for some in some circles to deconstruct. And so um, partly through that, partly through having wrestled through my own doubts and my own, I went, I've been through two seasons of kind of angst or kind of doubt about my own faith um and so i've just found apologetics to be a really helpful resource and the emphasis of this book is on the beauty of the gospel so arguing that god makes a lot of sense but also arguing that um, it's infinitely more interesting it's infinitely more dignifying to human beings and human culture it enhances our understanding of the arts Um, it affects everything if you believe in god versus if you don't so it's kind of trying to give a more full orbed kind of, um, case. And I hope it's helpful for people out there who are working through things or maybe even going through that process of deconstruction.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this, Gavin, just as, I hope you don't hear this as a a disrespectful question at all, but I, am just curious to, to, to think about your process of even writing this book. You know, there have been so many, uh, apologetics books, you know, and, and, you know, year after year. So, so why is your book, I mean, this is a horrible way to say it, but I'll just say it. Like, why is your book important? Like, what's, what, why should I read your book? And, um, and, and what is it about your angle that, that
1: you really are excited about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, that's a, it totally makes sense as a question. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it, it is true that there's a lot of books out there on apologetics, but they're all doing kind of different things. And sure. they're all speaking with a different accent. And, you know, some of them are about apologetics. Some of them are just doing apologetics. And I do feel that the needs of the moment are not totally different from what was needed in like the 1990s, but they're different. Sure. They're somewhat different. I think that the people that are most on my heart with this book are people kind of my age younger maybe you know people in their 20s 30s 40s people who've maybe especially i'm interested in speaking to non-christians of course but i'm also really burdened for christians who are struggling and doubting or um people who are like you know in the process of maybe considering walking away and so uh I think some of the things that I think are a little different now in terms of why we need to speak to that demographic a little differently with new books and with new a new appeal. Um, a lot of the older appeals, you think of some of the great apologists like Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel and some of the some of these great books. Well, a lot of the questions are different now. Sure. You know, one of the apologists said to me that when he would go to university campuses, uh, university campuses, he would get questions about the truth of Christianity more 20 years ago. Now, most of the questions are more about the goodness of Christianity. Right. Um, There's just a different uh, set of questions, a different set of concerns. And my book is is doing, I mean, I don't want to say it's too unique. I don't want to talk it up too much in a way that'd be odd, but I, I am taking a different approach. I'm basically taking four classical arguments and casting them in a, in a narrative frame so i'm using like these classical arguments as a way to tell a story i'm saying these theistic proofs are telling a story so like for example the moral argument yes it's about the drama or conflict of the story the um the teleological argument which means argument from design is about the meaning of the story Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to present these classical arguments in a narrative frame and then i'm putting the focus on their beauty um, as well as their truthfulness and then i'm using them as what are called abductive arguments which just basically means our, uh arguments I- inferences to the most likely um uh solution not yes. a certain argument so i am doing that uniquely and i do feel like there's a, a particular need for kind of an appeal that's more like that it's more winsome more holistic yes I don't know if that's making any sense. It is.
0: No, it's really good. Uh, I look forward to reading it. I mean, you sold me, man. I'll I'll, I'll be first in line. Um, have you spent a lot of time um, absorbing and, and taking notes on a lot of these deconstruction stories? If you're watching those YouTube videos or whatever, has that been something you've really dove into?
1: Yes. Uh, I haven't done that in any kind of systematic way, sure. but yes, I've listened to a lot of those stories. Um,
0: are there themes and... that you feel
1: like pop out
0: that are in common?
1: Well, I think one of the things I've been very alert to, I know that people, when their own deconstruction story is put in a larger kind of um, sociological Framework. Sometimes they feel like, "Oh, you're just seeing me as a statistic, or you're you're missing the nuances of it, or something like that." So one of the things I've been alert to is just that each story is different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not wanting to try to wanting to like listen to each person, yes. for the nuances of their own story. I'm um, wanting to treat people with compassion. You, you know, there's a great feeling of sadness. Uh, yes. in listening to them. some of them at times, I've gotten kind of depressed. Yes, had <laughs> to pull back and. or balance that with listening to positive, you know, reconstruction stories because it's a little bit depressing and I can see how it gets traction, but I would say, if there's one thing that I would identify as a, as a common element, it's a sense of disillusionment with the church and sometimes hurt from the church based upon maybe a particular experience at their own church, or maybe just the perception of hypocrisy throughout the church. Yes, And I can, I think the reason that strikes me so much is I can kind of understand that. Yes. Um, I don't feel dismissive of that. Right. So I want to kind of really take that concern seriously. But I don't think deconstructing your faith is the answer.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, like I can relate to that. It's it's like um, associations are powerful and we can't Mm -hmm. just dismiss that. Like if I had a horrible experience uh, year after year playing baseball as a kid, it would make sense that like... I'm not going to play baseball as an adult. You know what I mean? And that's the analogy breaks down and, and, and all that. And it's, that's a little bit of a silly example, but all that to say is we all understand how associations are not easily dismissed based on our experience.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like another example of that is, you know, someone who's uh, talking with someone who really grew up in kind of a fundamentalist framework. And as much as I tell him, uh, that's not all there is to Christianity. Have you read C.S. Lewis? You right. know, no matter how many times I say it, they struggle psychologically to really even really think that that's true. Right. It's like they know it, but it's it's hard to really embrace that on some level. It's kind of interesting the way that happens.
0: Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of former fundamentalists um, at our church uniquely. And one guy who's a former fundamentalist explained it to me like, the reason why they come to your church is because you have a high view of Scripture, but you understand grace. Mm-hmm. And that's what they missed is, um, is the grace part, but they still like the high view of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see uh, with those folks a lot of fear and a lot of anger, one or the mm-hmm. other, of just, I'm going to get whacked. or And, and it, when you're always living under that shadow of someone's out to get me and, and just tell me to stop sinning or something as soon as they can, um, it just leads to paralyzing fear or just screw this. Um, I'm just angry, just angry. And um, part of that's the story of um, of uh, my own father. Uh, before he passed away, it was, uh, you know, a lot of anger that was, I think, undealt with year after year after year um, as a result of a fundamentalist culture that he was became a Christian in. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I I have a, I have a real burden for our churches to be places of, of grace. Um, and I know, you know, you raised by a father that talks about a gospel culture, gospel Mm -hmm. doctrine and gospel culture have to go together. And man, I'm so, so passionate for that to be where we are because I do think a lot of these deconstruction stories flow out of, um, churches where, you know, we're all going to be flawed churches and it's never going to be perfect, but like that just aren't focused on there being gospel doctrine and gospel culture that flows from that doctrine that we say we believe. Um,
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, I I totally agree. And uh, the, the other thing I really try to encourage people to think of is, are you really fully, and this is part of the burden of the book as well, is are you really fully considering what you're moving towards when you deconstruct right you can have some legitimate beefs with what you have see over here but look down the road in the other direction and i'm trying to draw out even going back to some of the classic atheists like nietzsche people like this right i'm saying you know, you have you thought through how dark that worldview is for how it will provide meaning and dignity to human beings for its implications for how you pursue justice. You know, a lot of people want to deconstruct their faith, but still kind of smuggle some parts of it in. Right. And it's like, if you deconstruct, do you still have a basis for these some of these ideals that you're clinging to? I well, think that's a totally fair appeal we can make.
0: Yeah. And what what you're hinting at, Gavin, is like, where are the boundaries for what we can legitimately call something Christian? You know what I mean? Because like, so if you take away substitutionary atonement, are we still talking about Christianity? If we, t- if we, if we talk about a different sexual ethic, are we still talking about Christianity? Um, if you take away the personhood of Jesus, are we still talking about the the full de- deity and humanity of, of Jesus? Are we still talking about Christianity? It's like, how far can we go? Like, like I Mormons would say that they're Christians and I have no problem saying you're not a Christian, you know? But when someone is deconstructing, oftentimes what we don't see is a jump to Nietzsche. We see just like, hey, I'm just, I'm post-evangelical, but I'm still a Christian. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, great, but let's talk about what that actually means, you know, in terms of the details. And and so many folks would say, I'm a Christian, I'm just not a Christian like you're a Christian. And so have you confronted that kind of thing, Gavin, and and how do we think about that and have uh, meaningful
1: conversations. Yeah, th- certainly that—that's a kind of deconstruction. Yeah, I'm, so there, the person is claiming I'm deconstructing from evangelicalism, but I'm—they're still claiming to be a Christian. But yeah, and it, that can go in different to different extents. But a lot of times, it's a deconstruction totally out of orthodoxy.
0: Right.
1: right. <laughs> and I think um, it's kind of a different appeal then that that I would make for someone in that space than I would make. Uh, for someone who's just becoming an atheist. actually most of the most of the people I know, most of the people I've, I've engaged with that has been full blown like just out of religion altogether.
0: So that's kind of your target audience with your book is like I'm deconstructing meaning. I'm not gonna claim Christianity at all.
1: That's my focus, yes, gotcha. uh, th- and that, and that is a huge movement. Sadly, yeah, yeah. I mean a huge movement. Um, yeah. But what the demographic you're talking about is also so important. Yeah, and another one to make it even more complicated would be people uh, becoming Roman Catholic or mm-hmm. Eastern Orthodox. Uh, I've had a lot of friends go down that pathway as well, mm-hmm. and that's all another. That's actually my current, uh, the kind of topic I'm currently researching and doing YouTube videos about and doing some debates and and uh, discussions with this, uh, let's see, today's uh, Wednesday, yeah. Tuesday. So this Tuesday. on Friday yeah. of this week, I'm doing a debate with an Orthodox priest about what is the true church and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where my mind is at now because that's another whole thing. I think yeah. a lot of people are so disillusioned with evangelicalism, yep. they're looking for something more stable, for something more grand, for something more historical. And they're going to these other traditions, so that's another <laughs> all the all the challenges we face here.
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't want to get too off topic uh, in terms of your your area of interest right now. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very interested uh, personally just in the in the like deconstruct to some other form of Christianity and what all that means, just because it hits home for me in in certain places. Um, but for you, yeah, the, the the whole idea of man i'm just i'm just not going to be a part of any of this anymore and even make the claim that i don't believe that god exists anymore it's yeah it's really really so for in my experience gavin like when i spend a lot of time in that space it can kind of like for example i was just watching a debate you know because youtube feeds you what it just observes everything about us and what and it feeds you what it wants you to what it thinks you want to have. And a lot of times it's right. So it fed me, uh, Frank Turek and Christopher Hitchens debate. And I was just watching some of that. Uh, I don't know if you've seen one or there's a couple on YouTube. I don't think I've actually seen that one. Yeah. It's probably from seven, eight years ago. Um, but when I spend too much time in that stuff, um, you know, it starts to mess with my head a little bit. It seems like, and on the one hand, you would never want to say, like, I want to be able to fully engage all of the what, what the best that someone has to offer in terms of shooting holes in, in what I believe, because if my faith can't stand up, like, do I have the right to believe it? But on the other hand, um, the scripture does commend to me, think about things that are right and beautiful and true. And the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And... And so I'm just curious from your perspective, like how do you balance that of, man, I got to spend a lot of time thinking about these things, but does it cross the line where it stops being helpful?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, certainly it can, right? Certainly it can get unhealthy or obsessive or I think to some extent for me, I think it depends on how I'm going about it. Uh, it I, I find that for me doing apologetics feels very much like i'm thinking about what is right and true and good Mm -hmm. you know like when i did my study on the historical evidence for jesus's resurrection i just found that so um nourishing and helpful and because it started me thinking about the uh the nature of jesus's resurrection what does that mean what would that have been like to be peter or john running to the tomb right what would it have felt like to put your hands in the holes in his wrists, you know, it's, so it's got me thinking like that. And then also I think love for neighbor can be part of the motive for why we're getting into these things. If you really want to, I know people in my life that are genuinely struggling. They, they want to believe. So these are not people like, you know, some of the I'm thinking right now of a famous Christian musician who's deconstructed and, He doesn't I can tell from listening to him, he doesn't want to believe. You know, he has hatred toward God, it feels like. Yeah. That's one kind of deconstruction. But I'm I also have these people in my life, they are struggling. They want to believe and they're just wrestling with things. Yeah. And and I I feel like it's pretty sincere. I don't think they're like just you know, it's complicated how these doubts come in. It's very messy. i think that's one thing it's okay to acknowledge so love for those people is part of the motive as well you know i want to be able to help them have a really good answer amen um so that's that's part of how it helps me do it in a healthy way And it's the same with catholic and orthodox dialogue is i've kind of realized i was i've been humbled in my engagement on those things and realizing there's a lot of questions that i didn't have a good answer for yeah before you know like why is the protestant canon right when St. Augustine and all these other people didn't believe in the product, they believed in what the Catholic canon is. Like I didn't have a good answer for that. (laughs) There's lots of questions like that. And I'm having deep friends go to Catholicism and I don't have a good answer on some of their questions. So that's partly what's been motivating me.
0: Yeah. That's really fascinating. But like, um, yeah, there, there's deep waters here, you know, um, I'm really, really curious to see how this all develops for you. And as you move into the future, um, I I look forward to, to great things from you, Bud. That's awesome. I, I'd love to hear if you'd be willing to share just some of your own um journey of your doubts and your and and how you just what was that season like? Um do you can you uh, attribute it to anything like going like beforehand and coming out of it and can you just tell us some of
1: those stories? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And I, one of my YouTube videos, uh, it, it people could find for a fuller answer to this. I basically just walk through this exact thing and that's called uh, spiritual deconstruction, how my faith survived. And I tell my full story there. And but, and to uh, find you on YouTube, would they just
0: type in your name, Gavin Ortland?
1: Yeah, that'd be a real easy way to do it. The name of the channel is called truth unites okay. that, that could be helpful as well, but okay. uh, it shouldn't be too hard to find them. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, and this is partly why I have compassion for people, I never want to too neatly categorize someone else when they're going through an experience is, um, I don't think there was any larger kind of explanation that I could trace it to in terms of something going on in my life. Um, it's not like, oh, I had this event happen, and that led to this thought, you know, and right. um, it was somewhat random and it wasn't this big grandiose thing. It was just kind of for two seasons, one in college and then one more recently, I was just wrestling through the, the age-old question of how do I know that I'm right in these beliefs? Mm-hmm. And I'm a pretty uh analytical person. I like studying, I like thinking about things. And I also th- think I um I can tend to be pretty open-minded almost to a fault of like really wanting to generously consider another perspective on something because I so see that the human tendency can be toward prejudice and toward just closed mindedness. So I really make an extra effort to see the world through someone else's eyes, like Atticus Finch talks about in the book, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite books, he talks about you have to see the world through someone else's eyes, try to sympathetically understand how someone else is looking at the world. Yeah. So that's a real virtue for me, that's a value for me. So because of that, try to consider things from other points of view and then seeing you know in both of those seasons, some of the things I've been, and this is another theme I see in the deconstruction stories, people really, it's better to give people no arguments than bad arguments because when people put their faith in a particular apologetics argument that they've heard and then 10 years goes by and they realize, I was kind of duped by that. That was not a good argument. That leads to this great feeling of disillusionment and distrust. Yeah. And so in both those seasons, kind of seeing things that, wow, I thought um, I was thinking one way and now I'm kind of thinking another. And I can go into more details in terms of the specific things I was thinking through. Some of them have to do with creation. Um, more recently it was also just, uh, kind of looking at evangelicalism and just seeing a lot of problems and finding and feeling disillusioned by that pastors I knew, and then also larger profile pastors that were, um, sort of discredited in some way. Right. And, uh, feeling like my trust was betrayed and just, that just starts chains of questioning, questioning like, well, who else? Right. You know, and struggling with cynicism, you know, um, feeling like, gosh, uh, when there's so much hypocrisy to use, uh, I guess this is the only term I know how to use, that you see in the church, it can get to a point where you can start to struggle with cynicism. So that was a a piece of it. Uh, So there's all that. And then just wrestling through the objections and realizing some of these things are actually a lot more complicated than I realized. It's not always simple and tidy. Some of these objections are fair. To this day, I think the problem of evil is... A, an objection that has good answers to it, but it is not to be dismissed as like a lightweight objection. No, I think every thoughtful theist and certainly every thoughtful Christian should kind of take that really seriously. Especially if you're sitting
0: down with someone who just lost their teenager in a car accident or, oh, yeah. or their, their baby died in the womb. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're in the trenches with people, like the problem of evil in the classroom is one thing the problem of evil in the hospital waiting room is a different thing
1: oh yeah absolutely and it and it is such a such a universal one i mean all of us will have times in our life where suffering feels so intense yeah. and it's it's you know i'm so grateful for the book of psalms and the book of lamentations because it teaches us that it's not necessarily wrong to struggle with those right. moments and to ask the lord why did why and right how long and and lament before god about when we are in that space right um, yeah. so but you know just to to sum it off i would just say um it was this kind of low-grade angst of kind of working through things realizing oh this issue is more complicated than i thought this issue is more you know and then but in the context of that i have such a uh, desire to encourage people to continue to seek truth through that process. Yeah. And, and, and don't just like jump ship or something because I really believe, and this is what I experienced that um, over time, you know, number one, God is at work in all of that. So God is at work in the process. Um, I, I believe that God can use those seasons to prepare us to help others and to deepen the roots of our faith and make it more firm. I think actually a, healthy faith will be kind of continuously you know questioning interrogating things going down deeper um in in a healthy way not of attacking but in a healthy way of just seeking to understand and seeking to consider yeah um and i've just found apologetics to be such a resource in that and i've just found these some of these arguments are so compelling i mean just to give one example in the context of my research for this book yeah uh, you know the the old argument from design Mm -hmm. that our universe looks like it's designed uh, some people call it the fine-tuning argument right i I realized and i'd heard this before but it hit me at a new level that the only real alternative to that is what people call the multiverse hypothesis which basically means there's a, a zillion universes out there and we just happen to live in the right one like that's it that's mm-hmm. all the other side has. Mm-hmm. And I just remember hearing that and thinking, wow, like there's no worldview on the market that can claim to be devoid of mystery and devoid of faith. Yeah, There's no worldview out there that can claim to kind of rationally understand everything by what we can observe and, and study through science. And uh, things like that along the way, I think are really just helpful for people who are working through these issues. I don't know yeah. if that
0: is... No, for sure, man. I, I really, really appreciate that. And going back to your point of just how you can be so disillusioned by um, leaders that have fallen, you know, mm-hmm. I, I get that, man. I've, I've been around ministry for two, over two decades now, and guys that were heroes, I mean, I can name more, you know, I need more than just two hands to name them. You know, in 25 years, guys that you thought would be in it for the long haul are, are no longer in ministry and been removed. It's really, really sad. But thinking about that reality and how that connects to people just questioning their faith, I start to really understand why Jesus goes so hard after the Pharisees in mm. Matthew 23, like I just preached on Sunday. Like, cause the repeated word there is hypocrites, mm. hypocrite. And he, Jesus is, I mean, the heaviest language that Jesus utters in terms of condemning language, you know, it's, it doesn't get much worse than brood of vipers, you know, whitewashed tombs, you know, full of dead men's bones. Um, And so like, for me, it's very, very sobering uh, for both of us who, who have a position of leadership, um, in the church that my sermons are really important, my life you know you know watch your life and doctrine closely, Paul says to Timothy, like watch your life and your doctrine and my doctrine's really important um, my life in some ways I would say might be even more important in terms of there being consistency there and I mean, we could we could argue about you know, proportions there, but, but we both agree, you know, word and deed, um, Mm -hmm. declaration and demonstration. And, um, man, it's just so sobering, um, just to hear from your testimony of like the, the profound impact that a leader not being consistent, what that has on people who are followers Mm -hmm. and, um, man, Lord have mercy on us,
1: you know? Yeah. And as you're sharing that, it's just the thought that came to my mind was thinking about someone listening to this who's been wounded uh, by uh, a church leader who's been let down, and it may be a source of comfort to them to think about what you're reminding us of in Matthew 23, that Jesus is even more indignant than you are. Right. You know, he, he he's not the one to run from. He's the one who's... The, that's why... Right. I have such a pastoral burden for these people who are struggling and wondering about deconstructing is Jesus Christ is the answer to that problem. He's the one who's going to fix it. He's the solution. Don't run from him. Right. Run from the people who hurt you, but yep. don't run from Christ. He's mm. the great protector. Yeah. Amen. Amen.
0: And that's the thing that I feel like, like just helps me, sobers me up, um, helps me clear all the the confusion away a little bit is at the end of the day, I have to remember to preach to myself, like, whatever evangelical culture we're experiencing right now that's dysfunctional, and we could all name how it's dysfunctional and however you want to define evangelical, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, this current form of evangelical culture will not be around in 500 years. Just like, you know, the church now doesn't look like it did 500 years ago or when Augustine was alive or whatever. Like, these cultural things come and go. But the Word of God is what Stands forever, and and so I'm just like I just it just helps me to try to remember. I want to cling to the word. I'm not clinging to some culture, you know. Mm. And um, that's what I need. That's what our people need. I, at, at base, I just want to read the Bible and believe it and do what it says, and let the cultural chips fall where they may. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, that's just what helps me when I'm disillusioned with Ravi Zacharias stuff or. Mark Driscoll stuff or Bill Hybels stuff. I mean, those are the ones for me um, mm-hmm. that have really hit home. Um, that that's what helps me, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I love that focus of yeah going and 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 with that. My the way I'm thinking about all this too is just for people listening to this. Kind of, what do you do when you're in that disillusioned state? Kind of like you're saying, just going back to the basics. I mean, in some respects, that was my interest in apologetics. Is I just want to kind of rethink things, you know, Mm -hmm. from the ground up and just rework through everything. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, it is a happy thought as you're saying, don't worry about evangelical culture so much. That's not the object of our faith. That's kind of, as you say, just something that is in response, but the, the object of it is, you know, that personal encounter with Jesus Christ and, and refocus on that, refocus on the basics. Yep.
0: Yep. Amen. So when can we expect to see your book out, Gavin?
1: Yeah, thanks. It's uh, October. So I can't remember the day. Sometime in October of this year. Okay. Um, And is that with Crossway? This one is actually with Baker Academic. And uh, it's it's an academic book, but it's highly readable. So I really wrote it to be as accessible as possible.
0: Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. I think a lot of people would appreciate that. Nuance. Now, let me ask you this. This is a hard, a hard shift in the conversation, but I've, we have a lot of authors on this podcast. You're, I think, number 46. Um, The podcast started as like a COVID project and a lot of authors and a lot of crossway authors just because of connections I have Um, and help our listeners understand. And I know it's probably different for everybody, but how does a book go from like the evolution of the book writing process. So you're sitting in your office and you're sitting around going, huh, I wonder if I should write a book. I've been thinking about apologetics a lot. And then however many months later they send you the first copy and the shiny cover and it's beautiful. And you're like, wow, it's done. It's finished. Like, what is that process like? I know it's not the same for everybody, but what's that like for you? Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Like bring us behind the curtain of publishing a book. Cause for most people right. that's really mysterious. You know? yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, uh, so, okay. So I'll speak a little bit to kind of my process and then I can speak at all too, if you want about kind of like the, what a publisher will go through in the stages and that kind of thing. But for, for me, uh, it never ever is about, I, I never start thinking, Oh, I want to write a book on this. Sure. That that's not the start. The start is just, I'm thinking about this. Yes. <laughs> at least that's just for me. So, uh, the start is that I have an idea and I start to, and I actually just, for me, writing is kind of how I learn. So reading and then and then putting down on paper what I'm thinking about kind of helps bring the learning process to its completion, if that makes sense.
0: So for example, you'll be reading something like a book and then you'll just be taking notes or you'll actually be writing like a paper or like how – what is it, what form does your writing take in that initial stage?
1: For a while, it was blogging. Um, I don't blog as much now, but for a while it was just like, I'd read a book and then I just write a couple paragraphs of like, this is what this book did for me. Yeah. And so a lot of my older blogs are kind of sort of like a running journal almost of just what I'm reading and thinking about. And um, so the, but each book is different. I really don't have, I do not have a formula or a, um, because I find that more academic books are so different from, more popular level books right. so there's almost like two different kinds of writing um this the apologetics book i remember the day i had the idea i was at the park i'd gone to a bookstore on my day off and i'd kind of finished a few other projects and so i was kind of wondering like well you know what's the next focus going to be not necessarily in terms of a book but just in terms of kind of what i'm thinking about what i'm learning where my mind is at and uh it was just several strands kind of came together and I was at the bookstore and I saw Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. Mm-hmm. And I just had this, I don't know how to describe it, just this feeling of, I would love to like get a little bit more into philosophy, apologetics. I Historically, when I was in college, I loved studying philosophy, but I haven't done that as much. And it just felt like a new adventure, if that yeah. makes sense. Yep. Um, so just a fun project. And then it just, the book just sort of grew out of that personal desire for learning and for understanding um, for me personally. Um, So I don't know if I should say more about the process. Well, I'm curious
0: about the process though, just cause like, um, like, how do you go from like, here's, I'm sitting in that bookstore. I got this idea Mm -hmm. to like, you start writing some things and then all of a sudden it dawns on you. I think there's a book here or Mm -hmm. is it like, I think before you've even written anything, you're like, I think I've got an outline in my head and I can pitch this to a publisher and they're going to like it or, How does that work?
1: Yeah, um, it's been different for the different books, but for this one, I think it just, so the first couple steps were just um, reading the Dawkins book and then several others that that led me to. So Mm -hmm. starting with the the other side, wanting to read these books from atheists. Um, In the context of that, and then a, a key moment was, and then I'm starting, that leads me to other books. Then I'm looking for resources that are speaking to those books. Yes. So none of this is about writing a book at this point. This is just me learning. Yep. In the context of reading those other books, I'm starting to this convict, especially, so I remember reading a book by Blaise Pascal, yeah. who's an old philosopher. So I'm reading this and the thought is starting to come more into my mind that um, there's a little bit of a different need right now, kind of what we were saying earlier, yep. just the, 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 the mood right now is different than it was 10 years ago for apologetics things. So that thought is there. And then that thought keeps crystallizing in, in three specific ways that I think there's a different approach. And then emerging out of that is this feeling like I'd like to, I'd like to make a contribution to this. I'd like to, I'd like to try to do this. And then um, from there, the, the skeletal outline of the chapters starts to emerge as I'm just continuing to read. Um, and then I, I'm a planner. Uh, I, you know, I, I plan things out. So at a certain point in there, You know, I get out a sheet of paper and I just kind of plan out, okay, let me, let me, let me think through here's, here's how much time I'll take to keep researching. And then here's, um, when I'll start writing and, and, um,
0: but at what point do you know that you actually have a publishing deal? Like, do you pitch it? Do you go to them or do they
1: come to you or how does that work? Okay. So that, yeah. So for most publishers, you send off a book proposal Mm -hmm. and a sample chapter to Mm -hmm. an acquisitions editor And then they take some time and review it and get back to you. And if it's a yes, they'll issue a contract. You sign the contract, given a deadline, and then um, submit the book. And then there's like three or four steps from submission to uh, when it comes out in terms of just editing, uh, acquiring endorsements, um, those kinds of things. It's a little different now because I just recently got a literary agent, which is helpful. Um, so that's a little different now, but that's usually how it goes.
0: Yeah, like anything that is beautiful and 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 um, demands just a lot of creative thought work. It seems like there's never really a finish line. Like I used to be in the realm of songwriting, and I had I was a I I worked for a publishing company and wrote song blah blah. blah. Um, when I lived in Nashville for 15 years ago or more than that, and there's this sense of like, man, when is this thing finished? You know, how have you wrestled with that, with this? Because it's an artistic form of like, I can wordsmith this, you know, till I'm dead. You know, <laughs> and like, have you wrestled with I would mean, imagine that it would be a wrestling in that of like knowing when it's
1: done. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. That's a huge struggle because I, I, I mean, I think that's what people maybe would not be most surprised at is just how much work it is i mean it is like it, it because you know when you're just reading through the book it, you know you don't maybe realize how many editorial <laughs> rounds you had to yes. go in in getting it right and and changing it and i am i tend to be more of a perfectionist in my writing i work really hard to craft it i don't just throw words on the paper i work really hard I want it, you know. I treat it like an artist. I want every paragraph to be um, readable, accessible, interesting. I try to make it fun for the reader to read, and that that takes a lot of work to whittle things down. Because you know, it's easy to just go on and on and on. It's hard to be clear. Yes, it takes a lot of work to be clear. Yes. So, yeah, it's it feels some. I've had with each of the major books, I've had this thought. I go through this crisis where I'm like, I, "It's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm never ever going to finish this." Yes, uh, and so it almost feels like a miracle when it actually does happen. No, I I, I hear you, and I and I, I relate to that with with other
0: different. I've never written a book, but just other artistic pursuits where you are being creative and um, wanting precision and wanting it to be really well done. It's That can be the, the, the torturous path of the creator, you know, (laughs) anybody who creates anything. Well, man, it's, it's been an hour here, man. I really appreciate your time, Gavin. Uh, Remind our, our church again, uh, the title of your
1: most recent book. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, It's called uh, Why God Makes Sense in a World That Doesn't, The Beauty of Christian Theism. Okay. And
0: they can find you uh, again on YouTube and your YouTube channel, Dealing with Apologetics at Truth Unites right Gavin Ortland.
1: that's right if they were on YouTube and just search either for my name or Truth Unites they'll find me killer well
0: man thank you so much for giving us your time Gavin and um, man next time you come out with another book we'd love to have you on and hear what you're thinking about and um, we really
1: look forward to that that sounds great thanks a lot for having me Zach you bet